0: you are on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and silicauga and in auburn and opelika on espn 1067 listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fencewater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Back on the microphone. This afternoon after yesterday's Lee Scott baseball game, Levi, luckily I avoided the rain for game one. Game two came in with sweeping rain and wind, but they still powered through and were able to get both games done. I had a good time at the ballpark yesterday, and I was listening to you guys. You all held down the fort well. I enjoyed the show on my way up to Smith Station. How are you
2: doing today, buddy? I'm doing well today. It was good to have you back as always. Me and Lance had a good time yesterday, but it's always good to see you sitting across from me over there, and I'm glad that you avoided the weather for. The most part. This is
1: the OG crew, man.
2: Yeah, this is it. The skeleton crew. Just me and you, the OG, nobody else in the building. It's just us talking some sports. Well, it's funny. You say that I avoided the rain for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. You avoided bad rain.
1: Glenwood has one of the nicest baseball facilities that I've been at for a high school baseball game or for a high school baseball park. They have a two-story bleacher setup as in with like a covered overhang like you go up steps and so there's like a, a covered pavilion you know for the on both sides first uh, first baseline and third baseline and i was on third baseline and you'd think that was enough to keep me from the rain, right? No, because of the wind, it's like squeaking through the openings. It was like a monsoon last night. It got it got pretty bad, but they still powered through. It wasn't like a monsoon, that was an exaggeration, but it was enough to be irritating.
2: I mean, it was windy. I remember last night when I was laying down to go to bed, I could hear like I could hear the wind outside of my window just whipping and I mean, I know that that was kind of going on throughout, you know, the afternoon into the night as well. So I I don't blame you at all. I know exactly how that wind felt. Luckily for me though, I was inside where I didn't have to deal with the wind and the rain. Sure,
1: I get it. And you said selfishly yesterday on the show that you wished you wished upon the, you wished the rain upon me. I'm not not here for that. Selfishly, my man. I was
2: hoping it would wash away some of this pollen. It has been killing it's, me.
1: It's sitting in the cracks and the concrete out there. I mean, you can still see it. Now it's, it's gonna pop- it's going to repopulate again. Uh, yeah.
2: Now it's just piled up in in certain areas instead of just being scattered out with like that layer of yellow. It's just that nice pocket within all the crevices and everything. Give it but yeah. Time. Oh, give yeah. It time. Tomorrow, it'll be back. If it doesn't rain too much today, it'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry.
1: Number to call, 334-321-1390. If you want to complain about the pollen, you can call in, or if you want to talk anything else in the sports world, once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390. Find Levi at I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. It's Wednesday, and that means it's time for another 8 day Depth Chart series. We're finally onto to the defensive side of the football, and this coaching staff is absolutely glowing right now about the plethora of talent. Derek Mason quoted as saying, smorgasbord of talent on the defensive side of the football. Levi, we're on the defensive line today. Probably the hardest group of the defense to project.
2: It's it's really hard to project this. I mean, there's just so many guys that could potentially sneak up there. We also don't know a lot of how they're traditionally going to be lining up for the most part. It's a lot to kind of take in and unpack with this group here to kind of see where everybody fits funny enough yesterday i kept saying wednesday throughout the show because i thought all day yesterday it was wednesday i just don't know what happened to me and i i thought it was wednesday and i said man no not here on wednesday we can't do our depth chart series you know luckily for me though it was tuesday and i just don't know how to count days <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, I, I did throw a wrench into it yesterday I well, no, like,
2: and also at the end of the show yesterday i said yeah our last two segments we get off the air we're in between breaks and lance looks at me and says we only have one segment left. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I need to go watch Sesame Street and talk to the count because <laughs> it was just everywhere yesterday for my ability to do basic math.
1: Reminding everybody of our A-Day depth chart series here and what we're looking to achieve, we are projecting the depth chart for each of our position groups going into Auburn's A-Day spring game coming up on April 17th. We've been doing once, Oh, it's been once a week, We've taken a look at each position group once a week, and so now this week we're on to the defensive line. And Full disclaimer here, once again, this is going to change when you go into the summer after what we see in the spring game because I think it's going to be very difficult to 100% predict every single uh, position group, so in the summer we're going to do this again. This is just what we think it is going into the spring game. Also, with the defensive line here, a little disclaimer about this, we're going to take a look at three positions on the defensive line. Auburn's moving from a 4-3 front, I would expect, to a 3-4 front. So we're going to leave the edge position off for the linebackers next week. So linebackers next week will have four positions to look at. An edge in the previous regime that was considered buck and it was on the defensive line we're going to look at that as more of a linebacker position next week so if you uh if you're missing Derek Hall this week that's because he's, he's not in our projections for this group he's yeah, in the next, group for the linebackers yeah, we'll talk
2: about him next week with the linebackers we're gonna we're gonna group him in that edge slash which used to be buck position we'll do that next week with the linebackers we're just talking about the line the true defensive lineman
1: so, we'll start off
2: with the defensive end
1: position then on the defensive line, and that's what we'll talk about in this segment. And I actually think that this is one of the ones that I'm most confident in saying who is going to start at this position. For those of you out there not familiar with seeing the 3 4 that often for Auburn football, because I don't remember a time when Auburn football has had a three man front, the defensive end positions or the defensive end positions in the 3-4 is a little bit uh, closer to the guards than they are to the tackles on on the 4-3 they're outside the tackles and the 3-4 they're typically inside the tackles and Colby Wooden and the way that Auburn may put together their 3-4 defensive ends or or, or their 3-4 front the edge the edge guy it could end up looking kind of like a 4-3 and you have a stand-up guy on the line and there will be four players along the defensive line one of them is stand up and that would I'm just going to go ahead and give it away. That's going to be Derek Hall. I'm very confident in. It's going to end up being the edge rusher, and then the defensive end on the other side is going to have his hand in the dirt. So it still may end up looking like a four three, but it's not. It's still just three down linemen. So the three down linemen is what we're talking about here, and the defensive end position there, kind of a, a stronger defensive end. Colby Wooden is my lead guy at that spot.
2: I agree with you on that one. I think Colby Wooden's the guy that's going to come in and and be. He's going to be. He's definitely going to be one of the edge guys that we put out in this. In this defense, to so be
1: careful in saying edge, though.
2: Yeah, I mean he's just gonna be he's he's a defensive end. That's yeah, it.
1: He's a defensive end. Auburn, specifically <laughs> on their 2021 roster that they do have on AuburnTigers.com right now has divided up defensive positions into linebackers, defensive backs. They've got edge specifically written out. They've got defensive end and they've got defensive tackle. There are only three players listed as defensive ends on Auburn's roster which is uh, all three of them are going to be here we're just ordering them we're just
2: we're just figuring out which one's the most talented i'm so, so to, i am ignoring edge completely was, here in this segment well I, I mean i am too i'm just so used to saying edge in reference to whoever's like the end of our line at this point that's just that like my brain just kind of automatically defaults to saying that but yeah i think kobe wooden's going to be the defensive end he's he's the guy i think he's the best guy that we have at defensive end right now i think he has the most talent he has the most Upside as well. I think he can come in, and honestly, like, he has the ability, like he has the physical traits to transfer transfer up to the next level if he can put all that together this year. Defensive
1: tackle last year on the depth chart, Colby wouldn't started out that way. He was listed as a starter at defensive tackle last year, which for me, looking at some of his the the things that he did last year with his skill set and uh, showing his pass rushing ability from the interior, but also the ability to run, stop I mean, The guy would end up in the backfield sometimes, and you'd be like, how did he get there? So Colby Wooden showcased, and I, I think a big part of the reason why we were so impressed with Colby Wooden last year isn't necessarily because he was a top half of the league defensive end, but it was more because he kind of came out of nowhere at such a young age. I mean, he was only a redshirt freshman last year. For him to come out of nowhere and make such a direct impact on a line that was, ter- that was desperately needing An impact I think that's a big reason why so many people are impressed with him but I definitely think when you're looking at the defensive end position he's better than the other guys that are behind him and we'll get to that in just a second Colby Wooden though the reason why I bring up the defensive tackle point is because he's only moving a spot over he's only moving a gap over on the defensive line into the 3-4 scheme from his defensive tackle spot he's now just moving one gap over a little bit more to the outside for the 3-4 defensive end spot. He'd be moving two gaps over if he was moving to a 4-3 defensive end location. He's not. He's just moving one gap over. So you still see in the 3-4 scheme, those defensive end, there's a lot more. It's a two-gap scheme for, for guys on the defensive line with a three-man front because you have less defensive linemen, right? So what you're expected to do at defensive end in the 3-4, there's a little bit more run stopper responsibilities put on your shoulder there's a little bit more responsibility with that and it's tougher to play because you're responsible for multiple gaps rather than just the one maybe that you would have been if you were in, in a 4-3 scheme so Kobe Wooden I think with his experience having played defensive tackle at times last year also having played defensive end at times last year I think he possesses the best fit in this 3-4 defensive end scheme he's a big guy too
2: I think that'll help him because one of my knocks on him it's a little bit of his technique and I think he. He developed some of that a little bit more towards in, towards last year, but he's just a true pass rusher, and like I I view him as a guy who can get to the quarterback efficiently. He has a high motor, and that's just the kind of guy that he is. I think he's better suited to play defensive end in this system better than the defensive tackle. And I think his experience last year with what he did, I think like what he the position he had to play last year on Auburn's defensive line will help him this year scoot over to what I think is a better natural fit for him. I think defensive end just fits him a little bit more naturally than trying to play more of a defensive tackle, you know, a little bit over on the line. I think this is what's going to be – I think he's a guy who, honestly, I think you're going to see him take a big leap this year with his talent. He's a guy who who I could see at the next level, and with Derek Mason being the guy who is, you know, putting him under his tutelage and taking him – I think I think Derek Mason is going to help this guy get to the next level, and I think he's going to be a big part of Auburn's defense next year. I, I think he's going to be a stud on this line.
1: He's a big dude as well, oh, six, six foot five, five
2: two seventy eight. He's a monster. He's he's and got defense the physical. Defensive ends in
1: the three four tend to be. Closer to that 280, 290 range than they are in the 4 3. Whereas with the 4 3 defensive ends, you're looking at more 250, 260 or lower than that because they need to be limber and fast enough to be able to get into the backfield on a pass rush. Whereas what you're dealing with here, you're looking a little bit more brute force, a little bit more of a power rusher in in terms of pass rushing, not as much of finesse. Colby Wooden, and I think fits all of those categories very well. I think that's why he starts at defensive end. The backup guys, I've got an or here. I really, who is in front of the other in this situation? It's hard to grade here. Either Caleb Johnson or Daniel Foster Allen, but I think we see these guys the least out of some of the other players along the defensive line that we'll talk about later throughout the show.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I just it, it's more of an or situation. I don't think I think these guys are like towards the bottom in terms of you know that defensive end category. So I don't know which ones. I don't know who goes before who, but I can tell you those guys are I, I agree like that it's that or position that this guy or this guy, depending on
1: I don't think it really matters either. I because think it's just Kobe who, Wooden's going to be playing yeah, a often. Lot.
2: Yeah. I I don't think it matters too often. I think if you see those guys come in, either Kobe Wooden is hurt or he's gassed and needs, you know, needs to go on side and get a blow. And he needs to go onside and get just a good good bit of breath, take you know, take a little bit of rest, get some water going. Something like that is what Is what will lead you to see one of these guys come in, and I I think it'll be rare. And to to put one of those guys above the other one, it's kind of hard right now. You'll Caleb Johnson. Very well may be the front runner for that backup
1: position at 6'3", 276. He's also a junior. He possesses a better frame for the position than Daniel Foster Allen, who's six foot four, two 258. So you like the size a little bit more at the position than the 3'4", but also you like the experience. Daniel Foster Allen is only a redshirt freshman coming in. Caleb Johnson has been in the program for quite some time. So maybe on that alone, Caleb Johnson may be better to contribute right away than Daniel Foster Allen, we really haven't seen a whole lot of either of these two guys. I guarantee you right now there are people on the road listening to this at the moment that heard me say those two names and thought, who? Never seen those guys before. Caleb Johnson, though, has gotten significantly more work up to this point than Daniel Foster Allen. So in my yeah. projection for this going into the spring game, I think we see more of Caleb Johnson yeah. than we do of
2: Foster Allen. I agree with that just based off experience alone. And I I don't I don't blame the fans out there if they're sitting there you know, listening. I don't blame Yeah, if they're sitting there going, "Who is that?" Because before we started doing, I haven't know, seen a
1: whole lot of them.
2: Yeah, before we started like looking into all the positions and you know who, where we were ranking guys, I'm sitting there going, "Man, I forgot these guys were on the roster because I didn't see them at all." And if I wasn't just such a nerd like taking in all of the rosters, like if we didn't if we didn't do what we do, and just over obsess and go through and comb through every piece of this roster. I wouldn't know who they were if I didn't do all that. So I don't blame the fans. Study up, man. Yeah, you got to study. study I, up. I mean, even when you do study up, you you often forget about these guys when they don't touch the field that much. And that's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, these guys aren't getting too much. But I agree with you. I think the experience of Caleb Johnson is going to be what puts him above Foster Allen.
1: We're going to step away, and when we come back, we got some SEC news. Alabama
0: loses special teams. Coach, we'll talk about that on the other side of this break. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 1067
1: and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamasports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamasports.net. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334 321 1390. We want to hear from you. Whatever's on your mind. Thoughts on the defensive line position? We're doing our. A day depth chart series this day this wonderful Wednesday so uh, we're going through that defensive line position group we'll get back to that later on in the show it's time to get into some SEC football news some things circulating around the conference right now big news out of Georgia and Alabama right now uh, two of the SEC's top powers dealing with some dealing with some major news breaks that have came out maybe more so for Georgia than it is for Alabama Alabama losing jay graham as special teams and tight ends coach for the crimson tide in a statement alabama announces that graham has resigned his position effective immediately no reason has been given for the sudden departure but i'll tell you the language that says quote resigned his position effective immediately end quote never sounds good when it's coming when, when it's coming through a statement especially when you're talking about sudden departures and this guy's connection to a certain university that is north of Alabama
2: yeah it um it it doesn't when when you look at the connection you know of the certain university that is north of Alabama
1: that is Tennessee he was Tennessee's for, yeah. running backs coach last season that, that was where he was at previously and
2: we all know what's been going on with Tennessee and also you gotta think it's it's sudden in terms of he's been there what two months I believe around two months yep and So something had
1: to have happened.
2: Something's coming down. Because he went
1: there two months ago expecting to be in Alabama for the foreseeable future.
2: And then you're looking at two months later, and like you said, the language. uh, It's the language and the nature of this parting of ways, as you would call it. It just seems that there's something, something's in the water. There is something in the water or something going on that is going to force this guy to leave this position. Especially when you look at him, his history at Tennessee, you know what's going on with Tennessee with the sanctions that are soon to follow up there with the NCAA investigations and all of that. It just seems that there's, some, there's going to be some sort of link that this man has to the, the problems that have went on at Tennessee.
1: I don't think this is anything I don't think this is anything that's going to affect Alabama i think this is probably i I highly doubt any damage has been done in two months if if any
2: if anything i think this might just be alabama saying hey man get get away from us the appearance we don't want you to we don't want you to infect us go away
1: but then again this is i i don't know if i would call this a developing story of any sort because i don't know how often you follow a special teams coach around college football through these things but you know we'll see if there's some if there's there's some reason why Alabama and and Jay Graham have decided to go different ways here after only a two-month relationship whatever that is it may be nothing but obviously the appearances considering his last stop was at Tennessee and there's a massive storm looming over Knoxville right now and for the foreseeable future there It, it definitely appearance wise looks like Something could be brewing here, so we'll, we'll just keep an and, eye on it. I but mean, I don't think and, it's anything it, regarding Alabama. It also
2: could be nothing. It could just be that he was unhappy at Alabama. It could be that he has some personal matters to take care of. We, it's all speculation at this point. Nothing has been released. I want to make sure that we're clear that we're just trying to follow some breadcrumbs and try to make us, make sense of what it is, but that's all hypothetical from our perspective because there has not been a release of the official reason for him to leave Alabama.
1: Other news out there, Dog Nation has a report out there that the University of Georgia confirmed that junior wide receiver George Pickens suffered a non-contact ACL injury to his knee. He's going to have to have surgery on it. This is a big blow to the Bulldog wide receiver core that only returned two, and Pickens was one of them.
2: It's tough. It's tough. I mean, when you look at a guy, not only when you're kind of lacking depth at that position, I guess, or lacking depth in terms of returning guys to the roster, George Pickens is also a very talented wide receiver. He's, you know, he's, a, top, he's a top, at least, talent perspective guy in, the co- in college football in terms of receivers, especially when he was coming out. And his problem, at least from my opinion, has been he hasn't played with the greatest of wide receivers. Or I'm sorry, he hasn't played with the greatest of quarterbacks at Georgia. You've got JT Daniels coming back, the assumed starter, who was coming on later in the year looking very well. It's a blow to Georgia because I think this hurts JT Daniels a lot because he's not going to have George Pickens to throw to. I mean, it's it's going to be a little bit tougher. I'm sure this Georgia team recruits very well every year. Somebody's going to have to step up and play, but it's still a big blow. Like You, you can't just lose your top guy at receiver and expect to be perfectly fine. I'm sure Georgia will overcome this and find some guys to step up, but it still hurts. Kyrus Jackson is back alongside Jermaine
1: Burton, but if this – If this holds, like, you know, if he's having surgery on it, you'd expect that that means you don't see George Pickens this year. So the guys at wide receiver for Georgia are Kiris Jackson and then Jermaine Burton, two returners there. Last season, Kiris Jackson led the Bulldogs in receiving yards by a yard, had 36 catches, for 514 yards and three touchdowns George Pickens though led the team in touchdowns with six at 513 yards at 36 catches so George Pickens and Kiris Jackson were neck and neck for the lead Jackson edges him by a yard but Pickens has three more touchdowns so you know who the leader was at receiver between those two and then the third guy on the team Jermaine Burton 27 catches for 404 yards had three touchdowns to his name after that James Cook a running back was the next leader in receptions with 16 to 225? You really there were not there there are not that many key receivers over at Georgia. George Pickens was the guy, and now it's going to have to be pushed off onto Kyris Jackson and Jermaine Burton, both of which have not emerged yet as touchdown as consistent touchdown threats as George Pickens has through his short time with Georgia so far.
2: Next man up mentality. I mean, that's what you're going to have to go into. Like someone's going to have to step up in that receiver room. For Georgia to be successful, the running back room is fine. I like JT Daniels at the quarterback, but with George Pickens and that torn ACL, someone is going to have to step up and fill his shoes. Whether it's one guy or maybe it's multiple guys on the back end and they become more of a an actual unit, more of a by committee who takes the approach this week, someone's going to have to step up and fill in the gap from them missing the yardage and the touchdown from George touchdowns from George Pickens.
1: Folks are super high up on Georgia going into next year. Some people as high as number one in the country, not just in the SEC, but the country. I have a hard time getting there because I haven't seen Kirby Smart do it yet, and I'm kind of like, you got to show me something, right? And I know he won the SEC back in 2017 against Auburn, but we've yet to see him overtake Alabama. He has yet to overtake Alabama in a football season, and I'm not so certain that this year is the year that he does it, not just because of George Pickens. Even when George Pickens was healthy a couple of days ago I was still thinking I don't know if he overtakes Alabama but he's got a quarterback that helps JT Daniels was spinning and at the end of last year four games played four of those started he goes uh, let's see 80 for 119 in terms of completions and attempts only threw two picks Had 10 touchdowns 1,231 yards at 67.2 completion percentage super efficient guy was averaging 307 yards per game when he was out there on the field super efficient guy at quarterback that's that's a big boost for him. He's a quarterback that maybe makes the receivers around him better rather than a quarterback who relies on his receivers helping make him better. I definitely think when you're talking about this Georgia receiving court, that was true last year. So it helps for Georgia that they've got him coming back and that most teams in the SEC East are not returning quarterbacks. Yes, I'm looking at their rival, Florida.
2: I mean, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks that Kirby Smart's had in terms of starting talent from like i think he's one of the better starting guys that they've had because i think just i mean obviously i think justin Fields better but whatever for whatever reason kirby smart hated you know just Fields didn't want to put him in for whatever reason i don't understand how you can still sit there and trot out jake farm jake Fromm when you have him <laughs> on there so i like, i still don't understand that uh jacob Eason was a talent but you know they again jake Fromm was better than jacob Eason though jacob Easton had more upside in my opinion so i mean from like i think jacob Easton had more upside just but did arm, he ever show it he never had a chance. He didn't get a chance. to. But did he to. show
1: it at Washington? Though
2: he didn't have a chance to. I mean, I I don't watch Paxwell. That's too late for me. No, I don't want to. I, I don't want to talk about that. You are one hundred percent correct. The J.T. Daniels, as far as starting quarterback,
1: as far as starting yeah. quarterbacks that Kirby Smart has had, this is the best guys at at this point.
2: in terms of guys who has who who he started, again, I will take Justin Fields over that. But he he neglected Justin Fields, so I think that J.T. Daniels can help them right the ship. Problem problem I have with the Georgia people are super high on the number one it's, it's just like Tennessee every year it's Tennessee's year every year it's Georgia's year is it is it really because check that it, for a second every year it's Tennessee's year to get to a bowl game <laughs> yeah, so, yeah every time all I hear is it's Tennessee's year they're winning we're winning the east I mean this team this top five team Georgia it's their year it's a top five team when has it happened when because I haven't seen it I have not seen it in my lifetime that they've done anything I like the, the ring here, man where is the ring Kirby Smart where is the ring He's got the 2017 SEC Championship. I'm talking about National Championship. When you say it's your year and you're talking in the scope of Georgia and Tennessee and they keep saying this team can go to the National Championship and they can win the National Championship. Okay, you win. What happened? You choked it away like every other every other team in the state of Georgia. You choked it away like the choke artists that there are in that state. What? Like I just don't understand why everybody keeps saying that, I have this, to look away. that this team. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Until further notice, this team should never be the preseason number 1 because they've yet to show it ever.
1: Well, I don't think they're going to be the preseason number 1, so you don't have to worry about that.
2: I, I, just I think don't, some I don't people get it. Will, I, don't I think it.
1: they will receive first-place votes.
2: I'm this sure they will.
1: This narrative is getting generated now early in the spring. like It's it's cocooning. You know? it's, it's, <laughs> like it's, it's aggravating. It's, it's coming together right now, and then it will blossom in the summer. There will be people that vote this team to be first place beat
2: Alabama in the beat bowl. Alabama and I'll and I'll give you that because you you've yet to show me that you can do that Kirby Smart
1: What teams do you think are going to receive first place votes then
2: I mean it, I mean Alabama is going to receive course. Alabama Ohio Do State, you think they're Clemson, the preseason number 1 Alabama um i haven't really thought about that too much i'm trying to think of it's way wh- early I'm, yeah, I'm, about to say, I'm trying to think of who's returning what i mean yeah i think i I'd, don't
1: know how you put clemson in preseason as preseason number one so no, 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 i, that's I don't I'm think saying. they're
2: going to i mean like you like you like what they're bringing I think you're out, looking at alabama ohio state and georgia receiving votes and i still think i mean clemson's going to receive votes but i don't know if that's accurate if that makes sense they have to replace way too much for me i don't uh, I mean, they're no, gonna
1: I, win the acc but i don't think they're a top team in the country by any means On the other side of this break, we talk to Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and
1: Zach Blackerby with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama.
3: Zach, it's Wednesday and that means we've got you on the show with us today. You are on the line. How are you doing today, buddy? It's crazy. I wake up Wednesdays and I'm like, in just a few short hours, I will be on the line with Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater. I I can't believe it.
1: Well, I appreciate you hopping on the show with us today to talk to us. Today, we're going to be getting into our 8 day depth chart series. We're moving to the defensive side of the football, talking about the defensive line. What are your first impressions of the defensive line coming into spring Based off of what we saw last year,
3: a uh, lot of dudes and, and and not a lot of spots to fill. You got to imagine that rotation is going to be pretty deep. And so, what does that look like? And what are they looking at for different positions? You know, what kind of skill sets are they going to want for these three down defensive linemen that I think we're going to see a lot of? And you know, also, do they consider some of these these you know pass rushers, these edge guys? Are they considered defensive linemen when we have these conversations? So it's going to have to. We're going to have to adjust our cadence a little bit from what we've done the past eight years or so in viewing guys in different ways. But I think the biggest story from uh, the the open practices this past weekend was Jeremiah Wright going out there with the starters. And we've heard and we've talked about and we saw with our eyes last year, you know, Tyron Truesdale going into last season. I mean, he was a guy that a lot of people were really, really excited about. And then he never really backed up any of that hype or the praise that uh, that he garnered last summer so it's interesting I think it's good I think it's good for competition I think Harson's going to want some uh a different type of mentality on the defensive front than what we saw a year ago because you and I've talked about it before Noah I mean they were soft and I don't think a soft defensive line is going to cut it under this Harson uh, regime
1: does Jeremiah Wright moving in with the starters say more about Jeremiah
3: Wright or Tyrone Truesdale who? That's a good question. Um, I will say Tyron Truesdale in this situation, and I don't, I don't like saying that because I don't want to take anything away from Wright because apparently he's killing it and, and you know workouts and really getting after it. Also,
1: you want to believe that the nose tackle position is going to be good, right?
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. So, I'm curious to see. W- what that looks like. And I think we're going to see them both on the field at the same time, on, on first and in, in 10 situations and against running teams. But I was talking about this with Justin Ferguson. I know you have him on the show often uh, with the Auburn Observer. But he pointed out that like they had right on the field in third down situations in practice on Saturday. I didn't really put all that together. So I thought that was interesting. And having a 300-pound man <laughs> in a passing defensive set Is interesting to me and so that tells me that he's going to have some burst he's going to you know he's showing some sort of having an explosive first step so yeah I I think Jeremiah Wright was the winner on Saturday.
1: In a 3-4 defense those defensive ends that are inside the tackles they end up being much larger than your 4-3 defensive ends how much interchangeability do you see on this defensive line for guys? Do you think there could be some double dipping for guys that may be traditionally nose tackles in this college 3-4, maybe being able to get on the field in the 3-4 and run-stopping situations, or vice versa, maybe an entire line of pass rushers and not as preoccupied with the traditional nose tackle? Sure,
3: well, we've seen that a little bit with Wright and Truesdale. I didn't think there'd be a situation where both of them would be on the field at the same time, so we've already seen that. Um, I think it's going to be... With the other spot, you know that that defensive end, that three-four defensive end role, I think we're going to see a lot of Colby Wood in there. And then outside of that, it's like I don't know how much rotation you're going to see. It's like does a guy like Dre Butler file in there? Does a guy like Liotta possibly file in there? I know people are really excited about him. I think the big thing is going to be like, okay, they're in a uh, in a in a they're going up against a team that passes a lot, I think that's going to change your personnel. But as far as like the scheme behind it and guys double-dipping, you may see a little bit of it based on the game plan, but I think just as far as like the, you know, the, the concept behind it, I think you're going to see guys fill into specific roles. Speaking
1: with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast, joining us on the show today, Derek Mason absolutely adores this defensive backfield. How do you feel about it?
3: Yeah, it's, it's great. And it's like, man, you, you you talk about the starters, and then you got, like, you know, Miller coming in from West Virginia. Then, like, I'd forgotten all about Kamal Haddon. And, you know, when he was being recruited out of the Juco ranks, it's like, this is a guy that could start in the SEC day one. It's like, man, is he the fifth best corner on this roster? Like, it, it's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's forced to move uh, Tennyson kind of being that that middle of the field player to, uh you know, back a level to safety. And so. I think that says a lot that they're finding ways to put three corners on the field at the same time. But yeah, I mean Derek Mason said he's got six guys that could be number one corners in this league and I think he's, you know, That's smearing that a little bit. But he's got he's got six corners that can be a number two corner for pretty much every team in the conference. And you know, I don't know how many number one corners there are on this roster, other than Roger McCreary, of course, but they've got a lot of dudes that deserve to be on the field and they should be on the field. The big question is, how do you use them and how do you keep them all happy? That's going to be tricky. I imagine special teams is going to be a big thing for some of these guys. And then it's like, all right, when Auburn's in a dime set, you get more of them on the field. But but all in all, like, there's going to be guys that are left out, and it's a shame.
1: You love Tennyson. This guy has been practicing at safety a lot. I don't think we're going to see him at cornerback, which is where we saw him largely at last year. When he was on the field, he was – playing at one of those cornerback positions, one through three. He's been moved back to the safety position. What does moving Ladarius Tennyson back to strong safety do for the armor defense?
3: I think it's more between the ears this year than it was when he played at nickel backing up Christian Tutt last year because he just kind of looked lost at times. I think this is going to be a huge year for him. And look, Derek Mason's working with the safeties. He's, he's made it clear he's going to be very hands-on with these guys. And I think him being next to Smoke Monday a guy that clearly knows the game. I think that's going to be huge for him developmentally. He's got the abilities, he's got the first step, he's he's got the, you know, the the, the range to cover a lot of ground when the ball's in the air. It's just going to be, you know, how much how quickly can you process a lot of information, especially with, you know, the Alabamas and I think Georgia's going to take a step offensively and the LSU is with all of these more complex offenses that you're having to defend against. The, the, a lot of it goes through the safety. Now, fortunately, Smoke is going to be there kind of making sure guys are lined up and you don't have to worry about the linebackers in front of you. But I, I think Ladarius Tennyson is going to be a really, really fun safety and a different style safety than what Auburn's used to. Of course, you know, they're used to having a guy that weighs more than Jacoby McLean back there. And so, like, that's 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 amazing to think about when you talk about Jamie and Sherwood leaving and going to the draft. But, yes, I'm uh, I'm all in on Ladarius Tennyson.
1: Offensive side of the ball on Monday. We got both of our co- coordinators we got Mike Bobo and then we got Derek Mason we've talked enough about the defense on the offensive side of the ball something that I love that Mike Bobo said this there could no longer be any more arguing with me he said that it was a pro-style offense this upcoming season and for more of a direct quote a wide open pro-style offense
3: what does that mean right I think pro-style offense now means something different than it did probably a decade ago ago. exactly um, so it's going to be more shotgun. I think in the past you heard pro-style offense and a lot of under center, some power eye and you know, all kinds of things. But and I think that's why so many
1: people have been vehemently opposed when I've said that. But I'm like, it, it looks much different. When you say pro-style, it mirrors what's happening in the NFL. Mm-hmm. What's happening in the NFL is not the I-form anymore.
3: No, what you're seeing in the NFL, and I think you're going to see it at Auburn because you saw parts of this with uh, with Harson at Boise State, you're going to see a lot of different formations. You're going to see a lot of different personnel groupings and his his mindset is you want to make these defenses prepare for everything. And I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of like super complex plays, but I think you're going to see a lot of different groups. I think you're going to see a lot of two tight ends and when you have two tight ends on the field it allows you to it kind of forces your hand to use your safeties and maybe some linebackers that you wouldn't typically use if you know you had four wide receivers out there or something like that. So it forces your hand to do certain things and so I think that's what they mean all of this and they're going to spread the ball around the different guys they're going to spread the ball all over the field and of course they're going to have that good balance of running and passing the football as they should with a guy like Tank back there so that's what I'm believing this means so far
1: when this head coaching search was going on you remember that I was super high up on Matt Campbell over at Iowa State and a big reason why I was so high up on Matt Campbell was because of the type of offense he was running which was so much so like what you were talking about right now with the two tight end sets, still coming out of the shotgun most of the time. It was not full-on spread you out, four wide receivers, You know what LSU was doing two years ago with Joe Burrow. It was a more physical brand if you were even going to call it the spread. I think it was much more reminiscent of modern day. I'm drooling right now with all of the things that this coaching staff is talking about using with this offense, and then you even taking it a step further with two tight ends. Are there two tight ends that you would be confident in out of this group?
3: I think it's clear that Harson's confident with Piggies and, and Deal so far, at least based on what we saw Saturday. Um, I'd like to see Frazier a little bit more in some capacity. I'm not on the J.J. Piggies hype train by any means. I think he could be fine, but I think a lot of people want him to be like the focal point of the offense, and I think we're still a ways away from that. What but, about
1: Shanker? We we can't see Shanker at the moment because he's playing baseball, but yeah. Coach Harson in his press conference last week smiled when he was talking about John Samuel Shanker.
3: Um, I, I I bet Harson likes the idea the mentality of Shanker being a two sport guy being a competitor you know being a team first dude i I could see him being a harson guy and he's the guy that we've seen the most about you know or most from it, rather at the uh, at the tight end position. We just haven't really seen him a whole lot in the passing game. I'd like him to be a little bit bigger than you know I mean he's he's one of a smaller version of like a Harson tight end. he likes like those guy's pullback. beefy yeah, yeah, and so I don't fully know. It just kind of depends on what they want, you know what I mean. And it's good that they have different dudes at that position that can do different things, much like the receivers and even the running backs. You know, they've got your three hundred pound guy that can move. They've got their bigger guys that can do a little bit of both, and the guys that probably just can block. So it's good that they've got a nice mixture of all of those things. But uh, yeah, I mean, certainly Shanker can uh, can make the you know the the starting team.
1: Forgive me here, but I I, I want to. I want you to fact check me here. I want I want to see if you if you would agree with this comparison. Okay, when I think of John Samuel Shanker, the way that he moves reminds me of Philip Lutzenkirchen at the tight end position. Not nearly as good of a pass catcher. Not not trying to say anything in terms of like how good Shanker is compared to how good Lutzenkirchen was. I'm just saying with the way that they move and their body sizes, they're 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 still kind of that short, stockier tight end. Mm. They look a lot alike to me. Am I wrong on that? Do you see um,
3: that? no, there's there's definitely some similarities there. I like Shanker more as a blocker, and then like I don't think we know how good his hands are. I don't think we've seen enough of him yep. you know, running passing patterns and all that. But as far as downfield blocking, I'd probably prefer Shanker a little bit, mm-hmm. but but size, um,
1: the framework, very similar in how they run,
3: too. Sure, yeah, I, I get that. They both uh, they both move really well, um, largely because they they're weren't they not oversized tight ends by any means, more athletic guys. So, yeah, sure, I'll give you that.
1: Moving forward, what else do you think the pro-style offense means for Bo Nix in this offense? Because he's going to end up being the starter. Whether or not they say it right now in the spring, he's going to end up being I mean, the starter. I mean, they've pretty
3: much said it. They've yeah. pretty much said it. Uh, what he said, pecking order into the depth chart, I think that's the same thing. Uh, as far as uh, I guess you're going to see a more balanced approach from run to pass. I think that should be the goal anyway if uh, you know especially if the flow of the game allows you to run the football whether you know it's within one score or you're ahead by a lot because we saw that with Harson at Boise like he has no issue running the football at all because Man, does it make life easier when you're able to run the ball for your quarterback. Are you kidding me? So I think you're going to see a lot of that, and I think you're going to see Bo Nix completion percentage skyrocket. I was asked the other day, do I think if he's going to have 3,000 yards passing? I don't think so. I was asked if he'll hit 30 touchdowns. I don't think so. But I think he'll be a more effective quarterback and a more efficient quarterback in this system.
1: Speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast, switching gears to basketball now. Of course, it's that time of year, a little bit earlier this year, but considering Auburn's not playing in the NCAA tournament. But it is that time of year where Auburn folks are freaking out when a guy declares for the NBA draft, Mm -hmm. JT Thor, the first name out of this Auburn roster to say, hey, I'm going to test the waters. But he did make sure to note in his declaration that he still is holding on to the chance to return to college is it just that, or do you think there's a real chance for J.T. Thor to be playing in the league next year?
3: Unless the NBA is a lot higher on him than media is predicting. I mean, he's not in any mock drafts. Nope. you know, he's, He hasn't really garnered any conversation um, about that. So I, I assume he's coming back, but if he doesn't, man, he must be given a high grade. You know, Maybe like a Chumo Kiki situation, because he surprised a lot of people. And then when he was drafted, what, 16th by the Magic, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Okay, he was given good information. So That was
1: Tuma after, after his sophomore year, right?
3: Right. Yep,
1: exactly. And this so, kid should still be in high school.
3: Yep, you're right. So I, I think there'd be a lot of perks for him coming back, and I, I could see why the NBA would want him, but it's so valuable to get information from these front offices that say, hey, this is what you need to work on. you know. And, and I think they're going to want to beef up his frame. I think they're going to see him be able to move a little bit better with the ball. And obviously just, you know, become a better shooter over the course of that time. And that's what we're predicting, you know, when we already saw, I think we already saw individual growth from JT Thor from game one to the end of the season. He became a much better player in my eyes. And I think he's going to become a much better defender next year, too, when he gets a little bit more size. And, like, he looks comfortable in that lanky body. It's just, you know, put some meat on there and see if you can kind of still keep that ability to move well, you know, when you're 15 or 20 pounds heavier. I think that'd be a great goal for him.
1: Something else that i feel like Auburn folks may not be considering what JT Thor at the moment is. The guy is still he's still less than 19 years old you know he should have been in high school this past year it's not going to hurt him to come back for another year of college basketball sometimes you see guys stay a little bit too long in college maybe it would have benefited them to leave when they were freshmen maybe the fact that they're a sophomore that hurts them in terms of their draft evaluations because NBA teams like their guys young he's still going to be the equivalent age of a collegiate freshman when they would be leaving after he leaves next year. I'm expecting him to come back, and I think it'll be a good good thing for him. Before I let you get out of here, you think Sharif Cooper's next?
3: I think he'll say that he's testing the waters. I think we'll see that from him. I think we'll see it from Flanagan. I think we'll see it from Jalen Williams. Um, I I think that's all that we'll see that from. So
1: half of this Auburn roster is, is <laughs> got a MIA, you know, because of all the transfers as well. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know anything about this Auburn basketball team until after some of those declarations get wrapped up.
3: Yeah, I think they all come back though. I think all, all Sharif Cooper too. I think so. Excellent. I think they all do come back at this point. And so, you know, and I, I was talking to folks yesterday and was told like. You know, the the roster reconstruction that we're about to see is going to be crazy. I I was told yesterday by somebody very close to Bruce Pearl that there is a solid chance that Auburn's starting shooting guard next year isn't on the team right now. And it's like, that's amazing to think about. So... We'll see. So you Keep think it. this roster reconstruction could
1: be huge for Auburn in terms of chasing after a national championship next year?
3: I think so. I think they're all in on it. And I think they've made that clear with you know the self-imposed ban going into this season and the way they handled the Cooper stuff and all that. Transfers
1: so, aren't something to worry about?
3: No, I think I think it was done by design. I think they needed to clear out scholarship spots. I mean, it's essentially a salary cap, right? And they needed more guards. They got one with Zeb coming in, which I think he's great. Um but man, like if if Cooper stays, like you needed you needed some guys to transfer out, and you know the whole Justin Powell thing is uh, is kind of interesting and kind of wild. But but yeah, yeah, I I think uh, I think Auburn's gonna be in a great spot roster wise in a few months. It's gonna be crazy.
1: Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find
3: your stuff. Locked on Auburn every single day. Wherever you get your podcast, about twenty or thirty minutes of Auburn goodness. Where uh, you know on your time. So yeah, be sure to check out Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcast and uh, follow me on social media. Just search Z Blackerby. Appreciate it, buddy.
1: Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390. We want to hear from you. Big thank you out there to Zach Blackerby of the Lockdown Auburn podcast for joining us. If you missed that conversation, or if you ever missed a conversation, or if you ever miss a show, go and find the podcast wherever. You get your podcast. Follow ESPN 1067 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Between the Max Roundtable on the line, the Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, there are seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We got about two minutes left here in our number one. Let's take a look at the SEC baseball scoreboard from yesterday and then also take you through the upcoming schedule for this week here during the midweek and then on to the weekend for the sec schedule auburn and south alabama yesterday had their game postponed that was set to be played in the riverwalk and montgomery as the capital city classic that's not happening this year between auburn and alabama it was set to be between auburn and south alabama that game got postponed lsu and tulane saw a game canceled Alabama yesterday lost to Southern Miss five to four. Kind of a pitcher's duel, kind of not. Both teams said seven had seven hits apiece. It was kind of a mixture of the two, but Alabama ended up getting out hit, not cashing in on the runs that they needed. Southern Miss taking down the Crimson Tide. Alabama drops to fifteen and six. But Alabama still an attractive underdog team, if you're talking about that in the SEC when it comes to baseball right now, with their ability to have beaten Arkansas sixteen to one. And at least take one out of three against the Razorbacks this past weekend. Sneaky, but guess who Alabama's got this weekend? The team that swept Auburn. They've got, got number four you, Ole Miss this weekend.
2: Man, that's a tough opening schedule for Alabama in the SEC. I think they've playing. got them at home, though. I mean, you still got to have Arkansas and Ole Miss. That's still tough. But I mean, you're, we're going to l- learn a lot about the Tide this weekend. We're going to see what they are about. They took one from Arkansas. Can they move forward and go from taking one against Arkansas and maybe take two and take the series against Ole Miss, or even just take another one? against a better team in Ole Miss. We're going to see what we can do. We're going to see what the Tide can do this weekend.
1: Georgia beat Kennesaw State 3-2 to yesterday. Kentucky Auburn's next opponent of the SEC took down Butler 6-5. to Tennessee looks really good right now. Beat Ooh, yeah. Eastern Kentucky 13-5. They're 12th in the nation. South Carolina top Citadel 8-3. Arkansas 14-1 over Memphis. Ole Miss 5-2 over Central Arkansas. A&M lost yesterday to Rice 2-1. Aggies struggling right now and then Vanderbilt class of the league number one in the country. They beat Lipscomb 11-3. we got our number two of On the Line coming up in just a few moments. Stay with us.
0: You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour
1: number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Great show so far. Talked a lot of Auburn football, SEC football as well, Georgia now without george pickens possibly for the entire season due to an acl injury went through our 8-day depth chart series here for auburn football in the defensive line predicting what the auburn defensive line is going to look like going into the spring game we only got through the defensive end position so that's how we're going to start off our number two here moving to nose tackle and then the other side of the line whether or not you want to call that a defensive tackle or defensive end i don't think it really matters nose tackle is the innermost defensive lineman on the line the middle spot and then the other lineman opposite side of him.
2: i feel confident in this one i feel confident in nose tackle In nose tackle i feel like I, I feel like it's it's truesdale i feel like tyrone truesdale is going to be the guy i feel like his despite all
1: the reports of jeremiah wright climbing the depth chart i
2: i think it's a lot of smoke i think it's a little bit of a smoke he might be climbing the depth chart but i don't think he's overtaking the number one spot i think they're going to value that experience he's a two-year starter in the sec i think that they're going to see a guy like tyrone truesdale going into a day Mind you, going into A-Day, I think it's going to be Tyrone Truesdale. Now, does he get his position usurped throughout the summer and into the regular season? I don't know about that, but I feel like going into A-Day, it's going to be Tyrone Truesdale. Follow Fox Sports
1: Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports, on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Got a lot of great content up there as well. A lot of articles up today. Some Auburn baseball, Auburn basketball, women's basketball, as well as the tournament rages on. A lot of good stuff there on Fox Sports 983.com. Continuing on with our 8A depth chart series, predicting the Auburn defensive line depth chart going into the spring game at the top of it. I'm different than you, my man. You just said Truesdale I actually think Jeremiah Wright takes... You, you
2: think he's going to take it away from him Jer- before the spring game?
1: And I just said Jeremiah Riot, and that might be a great nickname for us to call him from here on. I think I just the got The riot to, maker. Uh, I, okay, hold on. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't mess it up too much. Let's just go with Jeremiah Riot. <laughs> he's causing riots in the backfield. I love it. Jeremiah Wright, I think, climbs to the top of the nose tackle depth chart... I think they I think he may already be there you think so I think he may already be there and, and while I do give credence to the fact that Truesdale has a lot of experience and you're spot on right now experience does matter in the SEC my thing is Truesdale has had all of this time to improve and to take off he's had all of this time he's he's a fifth year player now he, he, he has reached this this time that at Auburn I, I just wonder if
2: I just wonder if what we've seen of him, if he's already topped out. He might have, and I, like I said, I'm giving the leniency to say that he might have. He might not be the starter come the fall. Jeremiah Wright was running with the ones. Zach that was even. True. Zach was true. talking
1: earlier on the show. We had Zach Blackerbe of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us talk, talking about some of what happened at practice. He was in the, even in there in some pass rushing c- scenarios. Jeremiah Wright very well could end up. He very well could have already taken this spot. Here's my thing on Truesdale truesdale was like a microcosm of the entire auburn defensive line last year
2: that's quite true the Very issues
1: true. that auburn's defensive line was plagued with all last year you also found in truesdale now that's not me saying that truesdale was the entire issue with the defensive line last year because that's simply not true it was all of their issue but i'm just saying that the majority of the issues that you saw in the auburn defensive line you saw in truesdale last season is not overly quick and despite how big the guy is and supposedly how strong he is in the weight room, we saw him pushed out of the frame so many times by getting blocked out. I mean, it just it feels like he lacks a mean quality. It feels like you're playing nose tackle, defensive tackle on an SEC team. You should be one of the meanest dudes on the roster. You should be causing chaos in the interior of that offensive line. And it just wasn't happening. So I've been very underwhelmed with Truesdale up to this point. Now, I thought with this new coaching staff that maybe we could have seen him thriving under this group I and mean, we talked about this weeks ago and I thought before the open practice over the weekend that Truesdale was the leading candidate as you were and I was pretty confident about it, that this guy was going to be solidified at nose tackle but I thought we would be seeing reports through the spring that Truesdale taking opportunity with you know new coaching staff and extra year at Auburn I think I thought we'd be seeing that instead we're hearing about a backup who we really haven't seen at all ever has been like a third stringer at Auburn we're seeing this guy climb the depth chart.
2: That's not a good sign. That's true, and it's not. And it's to, not a good luck to also, you know, play devil's advocate a little bit off of what I said. The coaching staff could value a younger guy that they want to go ahead and say, "Hey, if we like this guy's upside, we might as well go ahead and get him the reps right now." At one, I'm not sure that this coaching
1: that. staff is glued to experience.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I thought the only reason I thought the experience mattered was more so just going into spring, but sure. I, they also could just say, hey, if we get this guy in early, that we, they could be looking at a guy like Jeremiah Wright and think, this guy has potential to really take a next step forward. Why would we just squander that right now and bury him in the depth chart? We have a fifth-year senior. He's only going to be good for us for one year. We might as well go ahead with the guy who we think is going to get better from the get-go and go ahead and start him. So I can understand that from both sides of the coin. I just expected them to ride with The experience going into the A-Day game, but also it's a completely different coaching staff. They don't seem to value experience as much as the previous regime where they're sort of locked into guys who have been there for a while. You could easily see Jeremiah Wright be the starter here. You could easily see Tyrone Truesdale be the starter going into A-Day. I don't know which one. With some of the reports... I'm still a, like fifty-one, fifty. I still think the Tyrone Truesdale with the experience might happen. Very but well
1: could be flash in the pan, as you like to say. Very yeah. well could be just that spring like, fling that we see every year with. Just yep. one player emerges. Everybody falls in love with it in the media. Everybody, the fans fall in love with it. Like, oh, this guy's going to play. Then, poof, ends up disappearing when it gets to the regular season.
2: It could be. And, I, again, we're going to learn all this come A-Day. I mean, this is why we do this. We do this to see what's going to happen. I think he runs so, with the ones on A-Day. Going yeah. into A-Day. Like, you're going to see what it goes into A-Day. And a day is not a reflection of what the starters are going to be at the beginning of the season. By no means whatsoever. I mean that you you have guys who are not even on the team right now who could step in day one. Very rare that happens, but they could step in day one and just absolutely command a position. Or you could see through summer workouts certain guys improve, some guys certain guys regress a little bit. It's it's going to be interesting to see this. This is a this is a position battle that I'm going to be watching closely to see. Where they go, and this is going to be telling to me as of it's going to tell me two things. Now I don't know which one of these is going to be. It's either going to be this what this coaching staff values more, experience or potential, and what they see. And it's also going to see. It's also going to show me how far along Jeremiah Wright has progressed, and or how little has Tyron Truesdale progressed and or regressed a bit it's going to just show me what they've been doing sends
1: a message it makes a statement that you chose to put a sophomore over a guy who's been in the program for a long time he's a senior now he would have graduated and been out of the program if it wasn't for the extra year that the NCAA has afforded these guys he's a
2: fifth year player now it's also big for recruiting I mean you could see a guy like who's sitting out there you know maybe he's on the fringe and thinking like oh they have so much of this at Auburn and you you throw you see a sophomore go running out there they said hey I might get early playing time if I go to Auburn.
1: Jeremiah Wright is the largest human being on the defensive line. I'm not going to say he's the largest human being. You started laughing like I would finished that. There was a slight pause. I, I, th- I thought I thought, that, I thought that's where
2: you are going to go with. I thought no. you were going to say he's just the largest human being I've seen in a long time is what I thought you were going to say.
1: Unfortunately, I cannot say that he is the largest human being on the Auburn football team. He is the second largest human being on the Auburn football team, but on the defense, he's the largest guy. He's at 300 And 37 pounds on that defensive line, and at six foot five, that's a big guy, and that's a frame that fits at the nose tackle position. Now, also a big guy, yes. Tyron Trusdale's huge as well. He's at 335, but six foot two is a little bit shorter. There, does that matter? I think it does to a degree. I think that three, those three inches. That adds a little bit more. Your wingspan is going to be a little bit longer if you're Jeremiah Wright. I don't have specific stats on those two guys' wingspans, but I think it's a big deal to have a dude that's huge in the interior like that because you can bat down passes.
2: That's Yeah, that's the big point of having some sort of length. It's mainly for pass deflections.
1: It's like, does Jeremiah Wright turn into a riot on the special teams unit, start blocking field goals, you know?
2: That would be nice. I mean, you know what they say. Special Marlon teams.
1: Davidson was a
2: beast at that. That's true. I mean, a lot of the times you— Nose tackle is one of those iffy positions where you'll you, you will see guys who are a little bit on the shorter side play sometimes, but you'll also see guys with a little bit more of the length as well. If I I can't remember the guy's name, but I do remember, um, I think on the defensive side of the ball for Coastal Carolina this year, their nose tackle was re- relatively short. I know their offensive line was short across the board for the most part, but I feel like their defensive, their nose tackle was relatively short. You can see guys who are short and they try to get, they try to use that kind of short leverage to get more under guys and more kind of shift through them and then you'll see a guy like more then you see jeremiah Wright, where he's just got the length to be able to use his arms for more passing game and kind of throwing guys out of the way a which bit i more. feel
1: like i've seen stuff about Wright, where they're actually pretty impressed with his pad height too with with the way that he's playing right now what you're talking about that those three inches sometimes do make a difference because you're closer to the ground if you're shorter but i, I still think they're pretty impressed with him i'm high but, up on jeremiah Wright. To, I can see. This I can spot. tell.
2: Yeah. Truesdale is my number two, though. I'm ready to. I'm ready to get day day and see which way this, which way the coaching staff goes with this one, because it's going again. It's going to tell what they lean towards, what they value more, and whoever's out there, whoever is out there, I'm going to trust the coaching staff that that's the guy. I don't think they have allegiance to anybody, especially if Jeremiah Wright's out there. That's going to be very telling to say, hey, this coaching staff just values talent, potential, and who they think should be starting there not this guy's a five-year senior he deserves and has to start especially if Jeremiah Wright goes out there that goes out the window and you're just going to see guys get to play regardless of any kind of seniority
1: just to note some of the largest players on this Auburn football roster if people were curious that was something that we were talking about just a moment ago Keandre Jones is the heaviest guy on the roster at 6'4", 345 also in that top tier of players brodarius ham at 334 pounds i just want to point out if, ham. if the well yes but also i want to point out if may have eaten an entire ham i'm not sure but i just want to point out the right side of the line for me what i predicted on my depth chart last week was keandre jones at right guard and Darius ham at right tackle that's one of the beefiest right sides of the lines in the in the entire sec when you're talking about 345 keandre jones at right guard and then at right tackle brodarius ham at 334 and in the past, in press conferences, players have talked about Broderis ham and how hard he hits, and he's a mean offensive lineman. That right side of the line, you're not going to want to mess with those guys. If that ends up being the starting group there.
2: That'd be nice. That'd be beefy. That'd be really beefy Those are your that. maulers. Yeah. Those are your
1: maulers on the right side. You can see Auburn run to that side. I think Auburn's run blocking could be super impressive on that side of the line. if those two that's guys what, are what it ends up yeah. being.
2: No, I agree with that. I think their run blocking will improve a lot. On that side, if those are the two guys they run out there, just based off of their size and dimensions, I mean it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get those guys when they're mauling their way through. And then you're going to have Tank Bigsby as well able to get even more out of what they're creating. Even the space they have, Tank Bigsby's going to be able to create more. And I think you're going to see stats reflect that if those are the two guys that are on that side of the football.
1: Truesdale's my number two. Who's your number two on the defensive tackle? Or It's not defensive tackle anymore. It's nose tackle. Well, we've already, well, we've already talked about it. So it's enough. Jeremiah yeah, right. and okay. those two
2: guys. And yep. It's not... Like, like I said, I, I thought I was confident with Tyrone Truesdale based off of just the experience alone. But it's not, it's not like an overwhelming confidence. It's just I feel that he was going to be the guy because of experience. But these two guys are close. Like I'm not sitting there saying Tyrone Truesdale ran away with it for my one. This could easily be a position battle. I just thought going into spring they would go experience. But I, I'm, we already talked about this. I can, I can see Jeremiah Wright easily starting on spring day as well. It's just what do they value, and I don't know what they value yet. I, I'm, You'll know after the spring game. Yeah, I got
1: Truesdale at two. Truesdale, I think, will play a lot. Yo, yeah, Even if sure. Jeremiah Wright is is with the ones, I think you see Truesdale play a lot. And, if Auburn wants to go to a 4-3 defense, you might see Jeremiah Wright and Truesdale both at, at the defensive time. tackle yep. positions because Auburn's going to switch up their fronts throughout the year, so you're going to see Truesdale a lot still. Just because I've got him backing up Jeremiah Wright here, I still think you see Truesdale a lot out on that defensive and, line in different packages. Even in the 3-4, you might even see them, if they want to bulk up the defensive yep. line a little bit, you might even see them move over into one of the defensive end positions.
2: I can agree with that, and I, and that goes both ways. Even if Tyrone Truesdale ends up starting and Jeremiah Wright's the backup, I think you're going to see a lot of him as well. Like You're going to see both of these guys in at the defensive tackle, and you made a good point, when they're running some of the 4-3 sets. like I would not be surprised to see both of those guys on the field at the same time running in that interior defensive tackle positions. The third guy, did you go three deep? I did not go three deep.
1: Lee Hunter or Marquise Burks is my third guy. I don't know which yet. Marquise Burks is somebody that I think oftentimes we forget about. He's at 6'3, 314, a senior. It's taking him a little while. I believe this guy's JUCO transfer. Lee Hunter will be a freshman. He's already on he's already enrolled with this team here in the spring. He's coming in at 6'4", 321. That's baby weight at the moment because that guy's only going to get bigger. I think like, I think this is his. This is going to be his natural position as time evolves. I just think there is a little bit of a log jam here at Nose Tackle. I don't
2: think Lee Hunter makes it – I don't think he's going to make, uh, make it too closer to the top through spring, and I don't think he will by the beginning of the season. But I think you'll see throughout the year, you'll see him maybe get a little bit more involved, and if you don't – I would expect to see him bulk up some throughout next offseason and really take the next step. And you could see a you could see a defensive tackle room with Jeremiah Wright and Lee Hunter. I think Lee Hunter, they find
1: ways to get him on the field too, though. They might stick him over into one of those once again with yeah. the three four, your defensive ends are much larger human beings.
2: And then with, and if you wanted
1: yeah. to if you wanted to beef up on the line at some point for a special package, maybe you get Lee Hunter out there. I think they find ways to get Lee Hunter on the field, especially so. if there's four man fronts occasionally throughout the season. I think that's another way for him to get on the field. But for me, I think Lee Hunter's your third, your third defensive tackle.
2: I hope on they your find roster. ways to get him on the field because I think he's way too talented not to. And he's a young guy. I want to see him get experience and try. And I don't want, I don't want Lee Hunter going into year two without getting valuable experience. Experience, like valuable playing experience, because I think that will be huge for him moving forward. And again, you're going to have some four or three setups as well. You can throw him out there. As, you can throw him out there if you don't feel comfortable. You know, if you want to do more of a beefy set and you want to have him out there with Tyrone Truesdale or you can slide him over to that defensive end position. Like you said, if you want to do more of a more of a bigger guy and I could see them finding ways to get him involved on the defensive side of the football. I'm just hoping that it doesn't. I'm hoping that he does. I'm hoping that he doesn't lack experience going into year two, because I think that's going to be crucial for him developing moving forward
1: on the other side of this break we talk about the final spot of the defensive line that we got to go through whether you look at it as a defensive tackle or de- or a second defensive end whatever it may be it's the it's the lineman spot on the other side of the nose tackle position we'll talk about that on the other side of this break here on on the line noah gardner and levi fitz wanted with you on on the line espn 1067 fox sports central alabama still going on with our 8 day depth chart series Working through Auburn's defensive line, chart here ahead of the 8A game on April 17th, under a month away, till we see these guys put on the
2: pads. Ooh, it's going to be nice. It's going to be exciting to see some Auburn football back in action, man. I've been, I, I, I miss the pads going on. I'm, I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to see how accurate we were with some of these position groups and what we thought, and maybe just, you know. See who the darling is, like you said. Who's going to be the darling that catches fire and see where that goes from there?
1: Number to call, 334-321-1390. Once again, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. At Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater on Twitter. So we've got one more spot on the defensive line. We've worked through two here. We've got through defensive end and nose tackle. in this defense, this other one, you know, if it's, a, if it's a four-man front, which I think Auburn's going to have four guys on the defensive line, one of which is a stand-up outside linebacker. So if you're talking about the line of scrimmage, I think Auburn has four guys on it, three of which are going to be defensive linemen. So this last spot, I'm calling defensive tackle rather than defensive end because I think they line up a little bit more on the inside than maybe Colby Wooden will over at his defensive end, uh, at his defensive end position on the other side. So defensive tackle here, who's your number one guy?
2: See, I, I was I was having a lot of trouble with this one I, I, I want to get Zekivius Walker in there because I want him that's to who get – i Because I want him to get like, – I, I think he's too talented to keep off of the defensive line. I feel like he's more of a natural defensive end, though. I don't know how he matches up at defensive tackle. And maybe I'm just like – Well, oh, this maybe,
1: isn't your true defensive yeah, tackle. Yeah, that's what this, I'm saying. Like, this, this is, is still... going to be more of the
2: outside guy. And like, maybe that's where my, my brain's having a hard time envisioning him not playing a defensive end well, position. Well, he's listed
1: and, as defensive tackle on the Auburn roster. Yeah, I
2: saw that, and that's like maybe I'm just. I think
1: I need 6'4", to see it. 289. He's an athletic defensive tackle. I think he's I not need one to, of your big. Th- this yeah. position right here, even though it says defensive tackle, like don't think about it's this not a as nose your, ta- It's not a right, nose tackle guy. These guys are not your biggest dudes on the roster. They're still going to be big guys, and they're going to be typically maybe a little bit bigger than your defensive end and Colby Wooden but they're they're still going to be athletic enough they're going to be able to play the two gaps that there's they'll, they'll be able to do both they'll be able to do both I agree they're still that. inside though
2: I agree I I feel like I'm just having a hard time not seeing Zakevius Walker at a true defensive end position right now like I don't think my brain just envisioning it well did that, you have him behind Colby Wooden there's a blockade no no I mean like I, I like Colby Wooden playing at that position or Zakevius Walker like I could I could see either of those two kind of flip-flopping a little bit I feel like Kobe Wooden's more naturally fit than Zakevious Walker is at the de- defensive end position. But I feel like Zakevious Walker also fits that defensive end position. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just having a hard time envisioning it. It's not that I don't think he will do play this position because he's too talented to keep off it's just like my brain isn't like
1: tackle last year
2: I, it's just my brain doesn't work like my brain is just sitting there thinking like i see this guy playing like a true defensive end for whatever reason that's just what my brain is going to when i'm thinking uh, of him
1: he's definitely a slimmer defensive tackle i feel like than we're accustomed to seeing at auburn
2: i do agree with you though that and we're going to talk about this next week. You're not the, wrong.
1: He does body wise look like a defensive end at times to me. But still, like he's six four two eighty nine. This guy's playing defensive tackle.
2: Yeah, like I said, I don't know what it is. It's just my brain. My brain is just like your brain. Don't work. Brain, <laughs> brain not working today. Brain hard. It, but no, it's just like it's working. It's just not. It, it just keeps putting him at defensive end. And I agree with you know. We're going to talk about this next week with uh, the stand-up lineman as we're calling it because I'm we're gonna have like an edge guy I believe so and you agree with that as well we're, we're gonna have that edge guy we'll talk about that next week which is what's going to put a guy like Zacchevious Walker in that more defensive tackle role on this side and not just you know as an edge rusher on the defensive end on both sides He's
1: lining up inside the tackle
2: yeah he's gonna be lining up inside tackle instead of at the end position because Auburn's what we're assuming is going to have what used to be the buck you're going to have that edge rusher coming down from the linebacker position but we'll talk about that position next week with those guys
1: walker played a lot in 2020 big part of why with that experience i think he's at the top of this depth chart going in other guys that we haven't seen a whole lot that i think are going to back him up just going ahead and wrapping up the depth chart there at that defensive tackle spot jay hardy or lee hunter once again I think they try and find ways to get Lee Hunter onto the field, so I've got him at two positions that you could see him get on the field Ro- as. Just, rotating in. Right, de- depending on the front. At the end of the day, it depends, you know, is it a four-man, three-man front? If it's a four-man front, I could see Lee Hunter at this spot. If it's a three-man front, then I think he's more likely to get in at a nose tackle, but at the same time, there are two guys in front of him on that depth chart, so Zachivas Walker is, I think, another guy who's pretty solid. I, th- I, th- I think he's going to end up I he's, feel pretty confident he's going to start for Auburn next he's st- year.
2: He's starting. What position? doesn't like, It doesn't matter. He'll start somewhere on this defensive line. He's too talented. He played a lot last year. I, I don't see a way that he doesn't start. I, do agree, I, I agree with you in the sentiment that Lee Hunter is going to be a second guy or a second or a third guy at multiple positions along this line. Like, I think he will be one of the first guys that they're like, hey, go in, get involved, you know, get this guy a break, or just trying to get him out there in general. And I'm interested to see like where he will be, like how much we see of Lee Hunter going into the spring, because I think that's going to be telling of how much we're going to be seeing of Lee Hunter going into
0: the fall.
1: And Jay Hardy didn't play until no. the Northwestern game in the Citrus Bowl. So that'll tell you, I mean, looking at his bio right now, I was like, how much did he play last year? And on his bio on albertigers.com says first game action came against Northwestern in the Citrus Bowl. So really not a whole lot of time out there for Jay Hardy even though he is listed as a sophomore athletically he he's still he's still got four years left at Auburn so Auburn actually like advanced everybody on their roster as like acting like last year did happen but at the same time if they want to take that extra year one day down the line they'll they'll be able to so that that, that'll be something that could be afforded to him Jay Hardy though is I think you know he just didn't play a whole lot last year so he's another one of those guys that joins people like Caleb Johnson and Daniel Foster Allen, who, like, if you're driving your car, you're like, who? I think maybe more people remember Jay Hardy because recently, I mean, last year he was a true freshman, so you remember him from the recruiting class back in 2020. He but played, still, he
2: also played in the most recent game. So if you were watching that game and saw, you know, just happened to catch him, you're like, oh, that guy was on the team. I remember that. like the recency bias where you remember that because it happened more recent. Plus, like you said, freshman, and you remember that from the recruiting trail. So you probably know that guy more just because of his name and how young he is. But we haven't seen anything from him. It's just one of those things where we haven't seen a lot of him, and we don't really know what we're going to get out of this kid right now.
1: So now that we've wrapped up the defensive line depth chart, now that we've wrapped that up, we've gone through all three positions that we believe are going to be on the defensive line and where those guys are going to start at. Now that we've wrapped that up, though, let's sum it up here. One theme of this defensive line, one quality that you see that could sum up this defensive line for Auburn next year?
2: That's a tough one. I've Um, got one already. I I like, I I think it could be versatile. I think it could be a versatile defensive line. where you. Another way
1: that I'll say that because mine was interchangeability.
2: Yeah, like I think you can rotate a lot of guys in and out at different positions. Like I think this, I think you're going to see. That's why it's so
1: hard to evaluate.
2: I think you're going to see a lot of these guys outside of maybe like one guy or so, you're going to see them play multiple positions along the line depending on the front, depending on the scheme, depending on what package you're trying to run out there, whether it's a four man or a three man front, whether you're playing a team that you're expecting to run the ball a lot more or just matchup oriented, where you're saying, these guys are kind of big, but they really this this offensive line we're playing against struggles with a bit more speedy defensive lineman or they struggle with a bit more beefier defensive lineman. Like it just depends on what matchup slash what front slash what position in the game that you're at is what what guys you're going to see out there, and what you know skill set you're going to see be implemented across.
1: The second quality that I would say here, and I don't mean for this to sound dumb, but big. I, I don't oh, yeah. want I don't want that to simplify here, but this is a big Auburn defensive line. First of all, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defensive tackles, which is a lot. You don't typically see that many on uh, teams' football rosters, and a lot of these guys can play. Like they, these were meaningful recruits to Auburn football but the size of these guys 317 321 338 314 335 298 289 and then someone who will not play 210 so i mean like you're looking at a lot of these these players they're huge they're They're giant
2: and they're tall like a lot of them are tall and big human beings
1: they're just yeah on average probably about six four six five some big guys 30 minutes left of On the Line here. Stay with us on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Number to call 334 321 1390. We're taking your calls. Once again, the phone number is 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Just wrapped up our 8 day depth chart series for Auburn football, talking about that defensive line. Next week, we'll do linebackers, then on to the defensive backs. Then uh, I feel like special teams is, is pretty...
2: It's pretty sad. It's pretty accurate. It's yeah. pretty sad. I don't think we have to worry about special no. teams too much. I mean, Anders get... Carlson spoke with media today. I saw that. I mean, make your kicks. <laughs> he does I mean, that's what he, no he said he should have made more that's fair he was in the running though if, to win
1: the to win the award last year to if, win the loop if Rosa. we're trotting
2: out a soccer player on the football field they have to make every single one for them to gain my respect
1: well that's not happening nope.
2: but and that's and that's get why I close don't, to th- perfection and right? that's why they don't have my respect
1: and speaking of perfection only 16 teams remain in the tournament and it has been unpredictable even though it is always unpredictable those of you in our march mayhem challenge attempted to predict the winners anyway And it's really close right now. Through the first two rounds, Karina of Auburn owns the bracket closest to perfection, but only by one game above Walter of Opelika. There's a lot of basketball to be played before we have a champion, and the TV is given away. But congratulations to Karina for having the best picks through the first two rounds. The ESPN 106.7 Basketball Mayhem Challenge is presented by Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe, Baker Motors, the Orthopedic Clinic, and Rick's Audio, Video, and Appliance. To check and see how your brackets are faring, as well as where you stand on our leaderboard, log on to ESPNAU.com or the ESPN 106.7 app. Yeah, my,
2: my bracket's in the garbage. I don't really care about it anymore. I'm trying to think. I think I have like two brackets that actually have a winner still available. <laughs> i mean I, I most of mine Their the winner has been so oust, on ousted. the west,
1: in the west in the regional portion now in the sweet 16 i had three of my four in that area correct so the west went the best for me that one that was the only one i'm missing is iowa and whatever yeah. whatever dude i i, mean, I, I told I, you my <laughs> big issue with iowa when we were talking about did you have them as one of your five that could win it all
2: Yeah, but... And
1: the the big reason why I said that maybe they wouldn't is because of their defense. The offense was great.
2: And what happened? The defense played Figueroa was on fire in that game. I don't think he missed... It didn't seem like he missed a shot. That morning when I was watching that game, it was just like every time Oregon shot the ball, you thought, that's going in. Like, it just... They had that hot... Like, they got hot. You could tell. I mean, when Luca Garza scores, what was it? 32, 37 points, and they still lose by you know double digits i
1: thought it was like 36 but yeah, yeah that's
2: what i'm saying like he had he had 30 he had 30 plus He went out man and they still lost by double digits
1: he went out on a he went out on his highest note probably
2: i'm I'm not upset that oregon won even though i might have had iowa i'm just i'm just gonna say I, i'm not upset that oregon won let's put it that way
1: pac 12 is representing right now but over in the east bracket i was two for four there on sweet 16 teams michigan and florida state i got that pairing correct i've got florida state winning that game I was wrong completely on Alabama-UCLA. I had the Tide getting upset by UConn. UConn didn't even make it out of the first round. And then I had Texas at this point, and obviously that did not occur either. They lost in the first round, a part of that chaotic first two days. Midwest did not have Loyola-Chicago this far either, nor did I have Oregon State. I had both of those teams going down in the first round, and here they are, second weekend. Houston-Syracuse, I had Houston this far. Syracuse I did not, I had San Diego State and Houston playing at this point. And then over in the south, baylor I had making it that far as well as Arkansas, but I did not expect Oral Roberts or Villanova to still be playing at this point. I had Purdue and then Ohio State. So I'm about 50% on the Sweet 16 right now.
2: I'm going to say, it depends on what bracket you're looking at for me. I mean, I have one bracket where I had Kansas and Illinois playing. That one's busted. I have one where I have Alabama in the championship game. So still alive and cooking there. I actually have one that has Loyola Chicago in the Final Four. So that one's still alive. At they kickin'. look good. They it's, do look good. I think they beat Oregon State. It's got uh, a. They're favored by six and a half right now. The only issue with that one is it has Loyola Chicago playing Ohio State in the Final Four. We see how that one went against, Did it
1: have them losing to Ohio State?
2: It had them losing to Ohio State, Aww. but then it has Gonzaga on the other side playing Connecticut. So you see how that one went. So it oh. is Gonzaga versus Ohio State with Gonzaga winning. So I still have a championship alive. I still have a champion alive. Yeah. Not the greatest in the world because, uh, as you can see. If I can get two out of the four in this year and a final four in any of my brackets, I'll be happy.
1: So do you expect the chaos to continue here? Because looking at the no. seeds, you've got 15, you've got an 8, which an 8 typically is not alive at this point. 12, 11, two 11s actually, a 7 still alive at this point. Like you've got a lot of low seeds still alive in the Sweet 16. Does the chaos continue or does it, now that we've reset and are going into the second weekend, do you think it goes chalk from here out?
2: It doesn't go chalk. There's going to be some chaos, at least in my opinion. I don't think it's going to be to like the level that we saw last week, because a lot of the times we were talking about this, you know, during our break, the first week a team will catch a team like Oral Roberts. We'll just use them for the example. They can catch a team like Ohio state off guard. And if you're telling me that Florida was not sitting there in the back of their mind thinking we're about to play Ohio state, you're wrong. Cause they, I, I, I know that coach to say, no, we prepare for whatever team wins again. That's, that's, that's whatever. Like, that's absolutely oh, garbage. No, they definitely
1: prepare ahead of time for the team that they're expecting There's, to be playing against. Like, maybe
2: some of the other teams where it's a little bit more like, you are you know, the, the one seed, you know, when you're playing an 8-9 game, you don't know which one you're going to get. But when you're going to play, the, when you're in the back of your head, even if you're not prepping and you're just thinking about it, you're expecting to play Ohio State. You're not expecting to play Oral you Roberts. You definitely
1: are spending more time on Ohio
2: State. 100%. So, when that happens, when you see a team like that win, they're going to catch the next team off guard because they weren't expecting for that prep. Now you have a week. Arkansas has a week to prepare for a team like Oral Roberts, which Arkansas is a more talented team. They're a better coached team. They should be able to find a game plan throughout this entire week where they can develop that and put it in play against Oral Roberts and be able to beat a team like that. That's why you see you you said They're it yourself.
1: They're favored by 11 right now. Yeah. Arkansas is.
2: You said it yourself That's over the break. That's a lot, though. Teams like, teams like this don't make it to the oh, Elite says, Eight. It,
1: this term, it's already been a statistical anomaly by percentages. This this, this many low seeds, it, it does not happen. No. It does not happen. Maybe like one or two a year will make it this far. But typically, like everything from here out is six or better for the most part. I think we go chalk from here for the most part. I think maybe one of these lower seeds goes forward. Maybe Syracuse upsets Houston. Houston's offense has some real problems from time to time. Defense is elite. That's going to be one of the lowest scoring matchups, probably of the Sweet Sixteen, this with game, the way those
2: two teams play. This game might be three to two going into halftime. Like it might be that it's, it's <laughs> If going they to be could a hold defense. the
1: basketball, these two squads would would right. Oh man, like, <laughs> if, there, if there
2: was no shot clock, you would one hundred percent see see a three, three to two. two. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I agree with you. I think Syracuse can do it because the that, au-
1: that is the most defensive bracket out oh, there. Man. Oregon State, Loyola Chicago, Houston, and Syracuse all That's play all the defense. game at a snail's pace. All I, predicated on defense. I
2: really want to see Loyola Chicago advance and play either Syracuse or Houston because I think that is just going... like
1: I think Loyola Chicago is the favorite of that regional right oh, now. Oh, right
2: now, I, I agree too. The only issue I have is Syr- if Syracuse advances, how, how will Loyola Chicago go against the zone? We saw it gave West Virginia fits. I don't know... I don't know enough about Loyola Chicago. Gave San uh,
1: Diego State fits.
2: Yeah, I don't know what uh, Loyola Chicago's conference looks like in terms of are there teams that throw out the the two three shoot zone a lot. The
1: three though, man, that, that is, that, that is true. how you break down yep, the two That is three. true.
2: That is true. They can shoot the three, and they're a very good half court set team. I expect them to be able to make those uh, those you know uh, cross corner and th- those diagonal passes to really. You know, swing the ball, get the open look, shift the zone over, and then you know have those diagonal cross court passes and make the threes in the corner. That is something that benefits from Loyola Chicago's standpoint against a team like Syracuse.
1: That that is that's an intriguing regional over there. When and don't you're sleep, about don't Sweet sleep
2: on don't sleep on Oregon State either. Like I'm not just saying. Like, I think Loyola I Chicago know, they, is. A, I think is they're the going favorite. to bad this weekend. I think they played. I think I think they're going out because they played an inconsistent Tennessee team an Oklahoma State team that we saw got hot at times and had a really good player. But team-wise, they, they underwhelm me most of the year with their team. And I mean, you saw them drop a couple games early. They go in, in the tournament. They beat Baylor. They get really hot. They got the number one draft pick as we're projecting. But I still think that Loyola Chicago is going to be the team that, uh, that beats Oregon State because this is Oregon State's tr- first true matchup.
1: I, know, I a big reason why I don't expect a lot of this chaos to continue is we know this has been a top-heavy year in college basketball. There's been about a top five of college basketball, top four that has been supremely better than everyone else, and it's been a big gap. And maybe we should start to consider Loyola Chicago amongst that bunch of teams because we just we haven't thought about them that way. And the fact that they're an eight seed tells you that the committee didn't think about it that way either. But still, disrespected and I would agree with that I think we've seen some mid-majors like VCU even end up as a seven seed I think we've seen Dayton as a seven seed in the past like it's possible to where they they should have been higher even all the way up into the sixth line like I think they're better than uh I think they're just every bit as good as USC and some of these other teams out there Loyola Chicago versus Villanova would be a fun game they're a five seed like I think I think this Loyola Chicago team did deserve more respect but you understand why they have them as an eight seed because they just, ma- yeah, are not going to reward you for playing in a terrible league.
2: It makes sense. I don't. I think, I think at least one one seed goes down in the Sweet 16. Okay, and it's going to be Baylor. Like, I, I'm not even going to say that. Like, there's. Really? A ch- I'm not saying there's a chance that Villanova Villanova's beats-
1: playing very well at the moment.
2: I'm not going to say there's a chance that Villanova beats them. Villanova will beat Baylor. I'm going. I'm going hardcore on that. Villanova. Jay Wright. They're better. They've got the rings to Take show me for the it. Check through the
1: betting lines on that because I know you. You know, you based your opinions a lot of how the uh the sharps out there are taking looks at games. It's
2: early right now in this game. Um I'm six seeing, and a
1: half six six and a half to Baylor at the moment. Yeah,
2: it's six and a half. It's six and a half uh Baylor favorite. I've seen seven at some points. It doesn't look the way I see the way I normally value my betting lines, it does look like it leans a little bit more towards Baylor in that regard. There's a little bit more money per the ratio of bets per money leans towards People lean towards the sharps taking Baylor. Is oh, what I'm so trying you're to say. going
1: against the grain on this one. I am
2: going to go against the grain on this one because I just don't value Baylor. I don't. I haven't. I haven't liked them all year. I think that they've just not impressed me all year long. I mean, they've been good. Let's be honest. They've, they've been, been a great, great. They've come been on. a great team all year long, but they haven't played J Wright. Two national championship rings. Villanova's hot. They're going to come in. They're going to beat Baylor. It's not even going to be close.
1: Don't say it's not going to be close. Not that going to be that be close. makes you lose
2: credibility, my not man. Not even going to be close. Villanova wins 100. percent
1: uh, I'm not there I think Baylor I think Baylor's going to move on and be Villanova Villanova is playing I mean, very well though it is a tricky one the, the, the one seed that I think will go down this weekend if you're going to lose a one this weekend I think the one that goes down is Michigan
2: and that's because of their matchup I mean they're they're playing the tougher Florida State's
1: ma- very athletic they can score the basketball
2: well Na- name a player on their team Exactly. I'm just you, Leonard they're, Hamilton they're, and them boys. You, you never know a player on Florida State's team, but they're always good because they always cause the coaching is good down there. Leonard Hamilton always has them playing. They're always long, lanky. They play they play that good like defense in terms of where they have the length to really affect you and really impact your shots because when, They're when one of ha-
1: the tallest teams left in the NCAA tournament. When
2: you have the arms flying around, it's hard to get in there. And we've seen Michigan is beatable at times. We've seen Michigan play incredible and be great but we've also seen Michigan look very not so great I mean I mean LSU pushed them all the way to the brink they lost that early game at Minnesota throughout the year I mean they dropped one to Michigan State Florida late in the State's year.
1: going to force them to play outside of their comfort zone Ken palm rankings you know in tempo have Michigan as one of the slower teams in college basketball Florida State on the other hand likes to push it between that athleticism between the height between you know being able to make michigan feel uncomfortable not make them have to get out of their comfort zone i think that's enough for them to be able to push past it's also one of the closest lines this weekend usc oregon you got the pac-12 matchup that's one point to usc at the moment that one's like a push michigan's only three to florida state that's just
2: like a push to me that's a bucket i'm i'm ready i'm i'm ready for that usc oregon game though that one's going to be good don't sleep on either of those teams Pac-12 has came out. That's they the showed Pac-12
1: out. championship
2: right yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is a good game. Those I, were,
1: no, seriously, though, those were the top two teams. Yeah, in they, they in were Pac-12 the top this year.
2: Two, Michigan, I just have a message for Michigan, please. Michigan, please. Please, Michigan, please. Please don't lose to Florida State, Michigan. Michigan, please. Why is please. That? I, Because I, I've been calling Florida State frauds all year, and I don't want to be wrong. Ah, I see. I, I don't want to see. see it. Any chance that Gonzaga loses to Creighton? Any chance at all? No. I think Gonzaga Creighton's
1: so hit hit or miss, and if they're not knocking down shots, they're going to get destroyed. We saw what happened to them in the Big East title game, lost seventy three to forty eight to Georgetown. That same Georgetown team that left the tournament after day one because of a twenty three point loss mm-hmm. to to Colorado. I, I, this Gonzaga team, it, it is going
2: to traipse I mean, all the way to, Ohio, the, to the title game. Ohio pushed Creighton for a bit. I mean, it, it, the score at the end of the game looks a little bit you know wider than what it really was because there were. There were times where Ohio was leading and very close in that game. They kind of got, got shell-shocked a little bit, a lot like how Auburn did against Baylor when they played you know, earlier in the season, and then Ohio kind of pushed him. I don't think this Creighton team can stand a Gonzaga. I'll, I'll, I'll steal a quote from... It's the
1: front court, man.
2: Yeah, I'll steal a quote from somebody I saw on Twitter, and they said, I cannot wait to see Gonzaga dog-walk Creighton, and I believe that's going to happen. Timmy in
1: the front court I mean this this Gonzaga team's got two scores yep. in the front court that average more than like 14 15 points a game Creighton doesn't have that and Creighton predicates their game on shooting the basketball well Gonzaga is not going to afford those to afford them those opportunities they're, that they're Ohio not to shoot. yeah and you see Santa Barbara like G- Creighton is now going from having played two 10 seeds or worse they just went from playing a let, let's see they went from playing a 12 seed and then was ohio ohio was the 13th so they've gone yeah, from playing a 13. a 13 and a 12 to now having to play the best team in the country culture shock and they haven't played somebody like this in the big east this year
2: no, no i either. i
1: think this is probably and the line would reflect this right now 13 and a half i would not be shocked if Gonzaga covers this,
2: no, I wouldn't at all. Now like, it's
1: going to set up a very intriguing Elite Eight game, West Coast Elite Eight game, West Regional. It doesn't get perfect more perfect than that when you're talking about Gonzaga, USC, or Gonzaga, Oregon. The whole West
2: Coast is going to be tuned in. And then you have Gonzaga, which is you know the best team in the country that we've seen all throughout the year, playing against what people would consider the better West Coast Conference in basketball with like the Pac-12. It, it's that interesting dynamic that that would set up where you're playing. A West Coast team versus the big bad Pac-12 that we've seen so far in this tournament. And USC, be
1: fun. if USC does indeed push past Oregon and get to the Elite Eight this weekend, USC has somebody that can at least match up in the front court with Evan Mobley at like seven yep. foot one, leading scorer, dynamic player. It's going to be a, and
2: then you can't count out Dana run. Altman for Oregon. I mean, he just comes no, in, a
1: little bit more backcourt oriented.
2: He, he just comes into the tournament every year as a ten seat or a seven seat or lower, and the next thing you know, you look up and they're in the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight every year. I don't know how he does it, but it's wild.
1: You know, the other thing is if Andy Enfield wasn't on the West Coast at USC, people uh, would talk about him more. I think so too. He was the guy who put FGCU on the map. Yeah.
2: I, I think people would talk I think people would talk about USC and Oregon more if they weren't on the West Coast because Dana Altman and Danny Enfield are great basketball coaches. We're just at, we're, They just don't get respect. You're like, they're back in another Sweet 16, and you're like, "I right. We're literally asleep. We are physically asleep when they're playing and people are literally sleeping on them i'm gonna keep saying it because that like that's what we are like we're asleep we're not watching them so we're just like ah whatever pack 12 we don't care east coast bias and it happens every year then they end up surprising everybody
1: about six minutes left in the show we wrap it up on the other side of this break here on on the line Wrapping up on the line here, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got three minutes left in the show before it's the drive with Bill Cameron, as they are every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Still talking about the Sweet 16 coming up this weekend. Levi, I want to dig more into the betting lines this weekend. We didn't really talk about that. I want want you to tell me what you're seeing out there that – could tell us a little bit more about these matchups because I do think there are some great insights on that, in that aspect of, of sports.
2: The things I'm seeing a lot right now, the thing that st- sticks out to me for the Saturday matchup, there's not a game, you have what, one, two, three, four games playing Saturday, and there's not a matchup that is below a six-point line. I'm seeing six, or I'm sorry, below six-and-a-half point line. You have Loyola Chicago favored by seven, Baylor favored by six-and-a-half, Arkansas favored by 11 and Houston favored by six and a half as well. And that just tells me that they're expecting not good games. They're expecting games that aren't going to be great. I haven't seen a lot of, I haven't seen too much action outside of the Oral Roberts Arkansas game. I'm seeing a lot of people who I see more big money going to Oral Roberts over Arkansas, which is something that surprises me a little bit because I was expecting. I'm expecting Arkansas to win and win big. I thought that was one of the most obscure
1: lines I've seen. 11 I, points to Arkansas at the moment. I was 11. like, I think, people,
2: I think people are looking to – they're liking Oral Roberts to keep it close. It does seem that some of the sharp money out there is expect is – they're expecting Oral Roberts to keep it close. I'm thinking with a week to prepare, I think Arkansas is the more talented team. They're going to come in with a better game plan than Florida had. They're not going to overlook them like Ohio State did, and they're going to be able to run them out the gym. But – Sharp money thinks otherwise and thinks that Oral Roberts is going to at least keep this within an 11 point game. I don't think there's a chance that Oral Roberts wins this game just based off the fact that you never see this team win the game. Like they never win the Sweet 16. 15 doesn't
1: go to the Elite Eight. I actually, I'm going to take some time to go and find that uh, because I don't know if a 15 seed is ever made in Elite
2: Eight. I don't think so because I think Florida Gulf Coast. Was I think they were the only one that made the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken, and they definitely and they didn't make it to the Elite Eight. They got bounced by Florida, if I'm not mistaken, in that one. Um, While you're looking that up, I'll talk about the other line. A lot of people are, a lot of the money is on Oregon State as well. You're seeing a kind of a 50 50 spot right there with Loyola Chicago being favored by that seven point line. So they're expecting at least a lower score. They're expecting a closer game there, which that makes more sense. I think Loyola Chicago wins that game. But if you're looking at it from the fact that these two teams play more defensive, more slower style, you might see a closer game. I don't think it trends that way. I think we'll I think we'll see more of this shift towards what it actually is closer to when these games start to tip off. But I don't I don't hate that that people are liking Oregon State because it is going to be a slower, more defensive matchup that could result in a closer game just by the nature of the tempo.
1: A 15 seed has never advanced to the Elite 8.
2: How many have made it to Sweet Sixteen? Uh, it's just believe, two, right? It's just uh, two, isn't it? Isn't it or- one or two? Yeah, or, I think it's just Oral Roberts and Florida Gulf Coast. Like I think they're I think the only so, yeah. two teams that have made it to the Sweet Sixteen. I'll do that math real quick. So like, I not mean, you keep going? Yeah, I think those are the only two. Only point seven
1: percent of the possible fifteen seeds have made it to the Sweet Sixteen. .7. That's not. That's not
2: even one percent. So, Ooh. that's a lot, man. That that I mean that's that's bad. That's bad. I, I don't. I don't expect. Oral Ran Roberts out of time on the
1: research. <laughs> That does it for another edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, back with you tomorrow for the Thursday edition of the show. The Drive of Bill Cameron following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.